I'm Tanya, I'm Gong Gas Girl, talking from Wollongong to my partner in crime, Inquisitive Gyne, who is with her colleagues Anne and Elke in Canberra, and apparently it's freezing there. It is absolutely yeah. freezing, yes. So that's a shame, because here on the coast it's quite warm, so you're enjoying that, and the three, of you, you right now. <laughs> the three of you are just celebrating a very successful uh, symposium on dangerous ideas at the Anz- Anzipi conference. Is it? How do you say that? It's- we think we think you say Anzipi. It's the Australian and New Zealand Association of Health Professional Educators. Okay, so uh, a- Anz happy, Anz happy. I am. I am quite happy. And really happy. <laughs> So um, multidisciplinary yeah. educators, all all doctors or other other. No, um, so, um, so everybody in um, healthcare professions. So that includes medical, nursing, allied health, pharmacy, um, and really everything and anything else in between. When we did a poll during our symposium today, there was also an educational designer in the oh, audience. Cool. So I think there's there's lots of people here who are. Um, directly related to um, healthcare education and on the periphery. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't you, so don't you think it's so medical education so interesting? Because we, you know, when we were at university, we'd have educators there who were the critique of them is that they were ivory tower academics, uh, not at the front line, didn't really know what went on, but are highly qualified. And then the critique now that we're not at university anymore is that we're taught by clinicians who are very frontline and bedside, but perhaps are not qualified in the education arena, right? So I was interested to uh, follow the Mind the Gap session this afternoon about that gap between educators and academics and and how to get the mix right. Yeah, well, so... um uh, my colleague, uh, Associate Professor Anne Howell, uh, is the one who... Who's happy and happy. And, 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 happy um, and had that particular dangerous idea and that was um, our last dangerous idea that we talked about. So I'm going to throw over to her, listeners. So, so I think you could have probably given that talk for me, actually, because I think I was Aww. really... Wait, oh, no, you really could have. Um, it in a nutshell. Yeah, you, you did just sum it up in a nutshell. But um, for me it was interesting because I actually wasn't... Um, because people that know me from the clinical world thought I was going to be presenting it from the clinical perspective and people that know me from the academic world thought I was going to be presenting it. Oh, so it's kind of like everyone hates you, right? Because we think you were us, but now you're there. I made friends with nobody. Oh, dear. <laughs> the us versus the them. Yes. No, so, um, but no, in fact, I think, you know, at the end of the day, it makes us all realise that we're all on the same page and we're all after patient safety at the end of the day. Um, the one thing that I suppose that people came up to me later was that uh, what was my solutions and, you know, we were running a bit time poor. But I suppose the things I've been doing with that is trying to get that translation. So, you know, running medical education journal clubs in the hospital, trying to get actual education um, on the agenda for performance reviews for clinicians that are delivering education. But there's so many different things you can do and it's all grassroots. And a foot in both camps, really. Both like now camps. we've got all three of us, like yeah. I guess are unique in that we've got a foot in both camps because we've done a high degree in medical education but we're all 
one mm. issue. Yeah, so the thing is, neither side can dismiss you. You know, the, from the, the academics can't dismiss you because you've got postgraduate qualifications, and the clinicians can't dismiss you because you're frontline clinicians. So actually, you've got the best of both worlds, right? That's yeah. really dangerous to do so. I know. Playing both sides. Oh, jeez. Whilst I'm on it, can I, I really want to thank uh, my colleague from well before, Fiona Cull, who did the cartoon for my presentation. Oh, it was and beautiful. Had, do you love it? Yes. She's not you even... might need to describe it because this is an audio oh, format, but yeah, we can attach it. But we can attach it on see, the Twitter. See, Inquisitive Guy is really good with the visual as well as the words, right? She understands about words. It was it so, was like how you guessed completely what my talk was about just from the topic, okay? And so I, I was explaining it to Fiona, and she just says, "Ah, oh, draw your cartoon on that." And she had the gap with the academics on one side as a team. Yeah. And the, the whole tribalism of the clinicians on the other, and then the poor students down in the hole. Stuck in the middle. Someone suffering. It was perfect. It was perfect. It was and perfect. And actually that cartoon made me, I mean, I wasn't, uh, I was present virtually, but not in real life. And I got the, I got the flavour of your talk from the tweets and from that cartoon. Clever girl. <laughs> Right. Um, so, so what else did you get from that Gongas girl? So the other, the other very interesting point was the issue of the medical tsunami and how to address that for medical students and doctors in training when there are more and more and more medical students and doctors in training and the same numbers of training positions. So the medical tsunami causing that bottleneck and whether we should be training people for alternate career pathways, such as the career medical officer. Can I just say, I know you're good because, you know, we're <laughs> friends and we talk on a fairly regular basis. But, oh, my God, it's as if you were actually in the room. Like, <laughs> well, let's I know. <laughs> I'm a bit amazed because I know you were in Wollongong and I think that you were working at the time. Yeah. But I'm fairly impressed by that. It's, multi, it's multitasking at its finest. But also it's the, it speaks to the <laughs> – speaks to the quality of the presentations that you've got the idea. I mean, don't most people say that, you know, your presentation, if you can have one or two takeaways from it, then you're doing well. And that a problem with most of our presentations is we try and get across too much and therefore the audience is left confused and sort of know nothing. Sure, and some of the feedback I got was I wasn't nearly political enough and that these group of the undifferentiated are actually abused rather than mistreated and really left so far on the outer and that where the need to do something is in is is really quite crucial. But even an additional feedback where even when this group does have support and does have access to education, the fact that they're still relegated to a career medical officer doesn't doesn't mean that they're not abused. Well, I think, um, so there's there's a bunch of these sort of, quote, others in our hospital. So there's the career medical officer. We actually have three in our department here in Wollongong, and actually they work really well. Um, they, they, you know, they're salaried. They've got a job forever. They've got job security. Um, I think they're pretty happy with their lot. They're just people, for whatever reason, couldn't complete training. I think the other issue is the unaccredited registrar. 
and that that term, the unaccredited, is really for me like uh, fingernails down a blackboard. You hear that in topics of conversation when referring to, to to actual humans, as in, you know, get the unaccredited to do X, Y, and Z. It's a really awful term. It's probably as awful as the term junior doctor. Really hate these terms. They just um, they depersonalize people, and it was int- and what are these people supposed to do? You know, they spend in in surgery. Sometimes they spend a year, two, three, four, trying to get onto training schemes. Uh, well, I know a couple of people who've spent five to six years. <laughs> You're actually not qualified to do anything else other than that specialty. You've been desperate to get on onto, and they won't have you because there's no spot for you, but you're good enough to do the on-call and all the crazy hours, et cetera, and try and pump up the CV and publish or perish to try and get on. It's it's a very cruel situation, and it's all worth it if you get on, but if you don't, well, then what happens? Certainly not permission to marginalise. I think the really interesting thing this afternoon, having, you know, my notifications have been going up completely crazy so it's been a bit hard to keep track of everything but there have been a number of medical students and junior doctors who have commented on that particular section of our Dangerous Ideas talk worried about their future and um, I think what was reassuring to me is that we've brought this up as a dangerous idea because it's the elephant in the room and that went throughout the theme of our whole symposium. We want to talk about the elephants in the room and we want to ensure that we're not just talking about it but there's action. And so to the people listening who are in that bottleneck or potentially in or in that tsunami, we want to say there was great discussion and interest in the room today talking about it. And some of these people are the people in power um, of how we can actually address this because people are very, very cognizant of it. I mean, Beck, you know the history better than I do. Was the, was the concept to increase medical student numbers, was that to try and sort out the maldistribution problem? Was that what it was for? Yeah. Like I... So, Probably Anne and I were both involved in some discussions in this, and I was on the Medical Student Council of um, Monash University when I was a medical student um, when this was all being looked at, and I actually remember very clearly going down to a, a – I can't remember what it was called. It was it was a special weekend away. It was in Lawn, and it was a lot of discussion about medical student numbers and should they be increased, should they not. It was a federal government initiative to attempt to get more medical students in order to address the maldistribution um, and to ensure that there were numbers of doctors in rural and regional and remote areas. But clearly that has not um, been the solution to the problem. At the time, it was raised by medical students in particular um, and other workforce people, and it was raised in the room today. and, And there was a particular speaker who my understanding is involved in the Australian Medical Council, who said, surely we should be looking at this from a more diagnostic way and looking at, as Australia as a whole, what workforce do we need? And my comment in response was, that would be amazing, but as somebody who has worked in Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland, in federation where we have healthcare in each state, that's a problem because we can look at it that way, but to implement it, when we have healthcare through states, is a real challenge. So I think we do need some dangerous ideas around this. We need some innovation. We need everybody to sit at the table and fully comprehend the extent of the problem and and have a real, not just discussion, but some action. And I think that will go a long way to addressing lots of issues that we see on Twitter all the time around wellbeing, burnout, mental health, 
um, workforce. And at the end of the day, this is all around patient well, care. Well, so that's the problem with the patients, right? The the maldistribution persists. I heard a I heard a quote saying that um, the highest per capita. Um, of ENT surgeons is sitting in Bondi. Like, there's more ENT surgeons per capita in Bondi than anywhere else in the world. However, we still have massive uh, discrepancies in, for example, our Indigenous statistics, where life expectancy is 10 years less. And, you know, all the doctors and healthcare professionals want to work in the city. And nobody wants to work regionally or rurally. You know, not nobody, but not enough. So this kind of idea that, oh, we'll just flood the cities um, and then they'll be forced into regional and rural areas. I'm, you know, has that actually worked? <laughs> no. So I think a new idea is needed and that's what we were trying to put forward today. And Elkie, I thought, did so eloquently. And, you know, the whole concept of, you know, that it's been a fast food franchise for really two decades now. And what we want to do and what Elkie's concept was, was to do you want fries with that of adding value um, and ensuring that that undifferentiated group are not the forgotten, you know, the forgotten group. Lost like the boys. Lo- like Peter Pan's lost, lost boys. boys. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and I think realistically talking about that rural regional gap and how to get people out there is an entire other topic and getting someone on um, the podcast like Min um, or Sky Kinder, who, you know, is currently the Young um, Australian of the Year for Victoria for this very reason would be a fabulous thing for future. Good job, ladies. Um, You did a great job this afternoon. I tell you what, it's not easy to raise dangerous ideas because the moment you you say something which is not routine, someone is not going to like it. And so it is, in fact, quite brave to state the idea. So well done. Thanks. Uh, You know, the really interesting thing for me was that my dangerous idea was Twitter. (laughs) Um, Twitter can't be dangerous, (laughs) as we all know. (laughs) As we all know, but it kind of was like um, it felt uh, unclear whether or not I was speaking to the converted or the group that that uh, needed some more knowledge around it. Um, and um, it was a, a pretty cool thing to be able to, you know, kind of tell the story of the journey. Yeah, it's lovely. It was so nice. I don't know what you guys. What did you guys think? There, there were only eighteen hands up on people that were regular users of Twitter Gosh. in the room. And so, we, we probably had about, I think it was in the end about 50 people yeah, in the room. Yeah, there was more. Yeah, Maybe, more. I don't yeah. know, 50 to 70 people. It's a bit unclear. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I suspect there are a lot of people who uh, don't really understand it at all. They just think it's pictures of your breakfast, which it is if you're Min Lekong. <laughs> but it's breakfast plus other stuff. Look, excuse me, I love tourism in Twitter. It's so good. Like, we really, but um, there was, you know, there were a lot of lessons learned today, I think, and lots of eye-opening, and there's ongoing discussion, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I think it's the discussion which actually, that was the aim of our presentation. We certainly got that. In fact, we were going Well, look, I did did have a couple of people come up to me afterward, um, and the key comment was, I know you from Twitter. That was very nice. But also someone asked me about what the um, rules and regulations or standards are for interacting with medical students on Twitter. Um, So that was also something interesting. That is an interesting topic, isn't it? I I would have thought. I think we should explore that another time. 
yeah, that's a very good that's a very good thing to do another um, cool. podcast. All on. right. Hey, thanks thanks for right. checking in, Gongas yeah, Girl. Thank you. <laughs> well, well done in Canberra. I think it's t- probably time for you guys to go somewhere fabulous yeah. for dinner in our in our nation's Coffee capital. Maybe on. you'll run into we, we might run into some politicians <laughs> or who knows. <laughs> All right. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks. <laughs>